Well, welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to pretty much part two of like an HGTV series of of uh, life in the tabernacle. <laughs> yeah, the tabernacle. we talked about our interior decorating last week, and this week it's we're talking about clothes. <laughs> so we got furniture last week, and then clothes this week. It's really not HGTV, so. So let's just dive into the word. We are studying um, chapters 28 and 29 of Exodus, and we're focusing in on the priests. Yeah, on the priesthood. And so the important thing to remember in this section, really chapters 24 through 31 are one big section. This is a section of God recreating, and it parallels with Genesis chapter 1, the first creation. This is new creation, seven times, thus saith the Lord. And then the first section, he's going to form his house with the proper forms, the the tabernacle structure and the furniture. And then now this second section, he's going to fill it, fill it with the people and fill it with life. So this second section, starting in uh, chapter 27, verse 20, running all the way, till the end of chapter 30 is about the priesthood, the priest and their duty and their clothes. So why, one of the questions is why does God care? Surely he doesn't care about what we wear, does he? He's not impressed by our wardrobe. Why does he spend so much time on their clothes? And like everything else in here, it's meant to reveal something about who he is and who we are. It's mm-hmm. symbolic. It teaches. And so uh, the priest were to be the people who part of their duty is to offer up the offerings, to make atonement, and to usher people into the presence of, of the Lord. And a couple of things we're going to see is like the tabernacle is not self-service. Like it's not like a McDonald's where you just come up and you place your order and then you kind of self-serve and do your thing. You have to be... It was very specific on who would be the priests. It was only the Levites that were allowed to be the priests. Correct. Only the tribe of Levi. And then very specifically, uh, only Aaron's sons could be priests who entered in. And then the other Levites um, were, would, were to be guardians. So they had different roles and responsibilities of creating or carrying and moving the tabernacle and setting it up. And then they would have the responsibilities once they settled in the land um, this is actually an important point. They, they were the ones who were responsible once they settled in the land to spread out, and it was the establishment of the Jewish synagogues. So they would recreate, in essence, almost like many um, tabernacles all throughout the land where mm. they would lead. They were basically the pastors of mm. the church in that era, mm. and so they would lead the teaching um, Sabbath by Sabbath and preaching. Mm. Interesting. All right, so in this section, starting in verse, um, starting in chapter 27, you have the first duty. So it gives you the first duty, which is to tend the lampstands for the priest. And then it moves to their robes and their clothes in chapter 28. Then it talks about consecrating them and then what setting aside them for their work, for mm-hmm. cleansing and ordaining them. Then it goes back to their duty um, of tending the golden altar. So kind of notice it starts, first major responsibility, clothes, preparation, orientation, ordination, and then second major duty. Hmm. Kind of see how it moves. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk a little bit about that first. Why does it start out, the first duty is to tend the lampstands. Their first responsibility is to keep the fire burning. Isn't the lampstand symbolic of God's presence? So you always want that with you. Yeah, that's the key. That's the whole point. That's the big thing for the priesthood. The presence is the point, mm-hmm. and the point is to enter into his presence, and that's what it is. It's symbolic of his presence. It's mm-hmm. symbolic of light and life. Mm-hmm. And so they, every morning, every evening, there was to be somebody on guard to tend and guard the lampstands. 
And it specifies very specifically only pure oil for the lampstand. Mm-hmm. Why do you think they'd only want to do have pure oil? Is God a, an essential oil snob? <laughs> uh, no, it couldn't be contaminated because if it had, if it wasn't pure, it would smoke. You don't want smoke, of course. Yeah, building up. Correct. And you can look at the p- pictures and see in the that part of God's house, it's surrounded by these thick, four-inch thick curtains, and there's no light coming in. There's no ventilation, so it has to be pure oil that would be smoke-free, clean, pure light, Mm -hmm. Um, which is another thing we forgot to mention last time is the curtains were these massive curtains that were at least four inches thick. Mm -hmm. And then you think about the marvel that when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain in the temple, it ripped from the top to bottom, Mm -hmm. what it would supernatural strength it would take to rip a curtain like that. Can you imagine being a priest during that time? Like when when Christ died and then that that was ripped. Yes. There's probably this they just knew so so poignantly what that symbolized mm-hmm. and and probably just the fear that was evoked like, oh my goodness, it's torn in two. Like we're we're gonna die yeah. because we're exposed yep. to God's presence, his glory. And then they don't. You know, just probably the yeah, I think it's one of the marvels. Uh, Luke touches on that in Acts chapter 6 where he marvels. He makes this comment that uh, many of the priests turned to the way. And I think it would have been amazing to be there with them as I think all of the imagery and the symbolism that was the reality of their life would have come dawning on them that he has fulfilled it all. Mm-hmm. And that would have been such a cool experience mm-hmm. for them. Mm-hmm. Um, So first responsibility, keep the flame burning day and night. Mm -hmm. Other reasons, day and night, um, really important to have somebody watching the candles at night, fire, curtains, you know, Mm -hmm. fire hazard. And then in chapter 28, it moves into the priestly garments, so his robes. And this is another one of the things it's, you can hear the depiction and kind of get lost, but just once you see it, it, it just makes sense. Yeah. And so... It kind of reminds me of back in the day after you went wedding dress shopping, <laughs> trying to explain it to me, all the words. <laughs> Virtually meaningless. Until you I don't understand. A cut, V back, some whatever. <laughs> what? I don't know. Was that even a phrase? <laughs> no. So was a, there were letters in there. It was like A. A line. And maybe. Yep. Yep. Don't <laughs> even, But just uh, let me see it. I just need yeah. to see it. <laughs> And so this, um, so we actually have a printout here of the priestly garments, and a couple things to notice in this chapter. One of the things you want to notice is that God specifically, intentionally calls them out from the people. No one is a priest who is self-appointed. You have to mm. be called by God, and in in this era, it comes specifically through the line of Levi. And then specifically through Aaron's line. Mm -hmm. So no one's self-appointed. Why do you think he starts talking about the clothes before he starts talking about the people? It's clothes first. Get the outfit right. Mm. You got to get the uniform right. That's a great question. Hmm, Why is it? I think one of the reasons is the outfit is symbolic of the office. So it's representing the ideal. Okay. Um, and so it's just like in, you know, many, many occupations have uniforms that uh-huh. represent or symbolize the uniform. And one of the things you'll see in this section, look for when you read through it, look for three words. It's holy, glory, and beauty. Hmm. So that's a, a 
triad that's repeated about the priestly garments. They are to be holy. They're for the glory and for the beauty. So why do you think, so let's think about those three words, Mm -hmm. what they symbolize. So holy. So it's, it's clothing that's meant to be holy, to set them apart. Mm -hmm. And then it's glory. And the word glory means weight. It has Mm -hmm. a weight. Actually, when you look at the ephod and the breastplate and these different things, it would have been heavy. Mm -hmm. It would have been a certain weight to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then beauty is to be beautiful. Mm -hmm. So all three of those things are to physically and tangibly represent the reality of who God is. Mm -hmm. So the priest is serving a very unique function. He represents God to the people, but then he also represents the people to God. Yeah as we'll see in just a second. So it's, it's representing who God is. And then notice when you look at the picture, and then when you look at the picture side by side with the picture of the tabernacle, uh-huh. what, what do you notice? The threading kind of looks like the curtain. Yeah, the threading is a curtain. Yep, it's the exact same threading. It's the same color scheme. You have the gold embroidery. You have the gold. You have the purple. You have the scarlet. You have the blue. Um, the, the threading. In one sense, who the, the, the priest is intended to be is he's intended to be a mobile tabernacle. Hmm. So he's he's has the same same color scheme, same decor. <laughs> they match. They do match. <laughs> and then as you're reading through, you'll notice the different pieces of clothing that get put on, like the ephod and then the breastplate and some things about that. Now notice, you can barely see in the picture, look on the shoulders, mm-hmm. there's the, the ephod or the these these gems, the mm-hmm. beautiful um, gems that are placed on the shoulders, and then the names of Israel is inscribed on the shoulders. Mm. So what do you think that's representing? Does, doesn't shoulders mean like weight of responsibility? Yeah, yeah, he's bearing them. So it's his job to bear them into the presence of the Lord. Mm. So that's he's what he's doing. their sins. Uh-huh. Yeah, or Barry, he's bringing the people into the Lord's presence. And so that's part of, that's one of the reasons morning and evening, he's to usher the people. He's the representative and he brings the people, um, brings their needs, their requests, their desires into the presence of the Lord. Okay. Um, And so that's, that's important because that, like when you read about the apostles in the New Testament and they say, you know, we have to establish deacons. It's not right for us to serve tables. We have to be dedicated to the word, teaching the word and to prayer. This doesn't mean they're just supposed to, you know, hang out in the cloister all day praying. It's their responsibility morning and evening. They're taking on this priestly task mm-hmm. of being the representatives of bearing the people into God's presence. And that was core to who they were, their mission and their life. So they're bringing God's people into his presence. But also notice the breastplate. You have then specifically the 12 tribes each get their own jewel, gemstone. It would be fascinating to study these things and see what the symbolism mm-hmm. and the connection is. Um, mm-hmm. We'd have to look. I know people have done that well, but, you know, more time than I have, we have at this stage. <laughs> but that would be a beautiful thing to study. But notice the names of, so why the breastplate? Why the names of the tribes written there? They're on his heart. Yep, they're engraved on his heart, and he's he's bringing. Um, so it's not just the bur- he carries them as a burden, but it's a burden of love. It's a burden where they're they're mm-hmm. written on his heart. I love that. I I also want to point out the the bottom of the robe. So Ben, do you know about the pomegranates on the robe? 
no, I don't know about the pomegranates. Are they are they heart healthy? Is that a super fruit? <laughs> no, I love it. So so let's draw our attention down to the bottom of the robe. So, okay, so thinking um, about the bottom. Okay. <laughs> so at the very end of of the robe, there are these bells and balls at the very very bottom of the edge of the robe, and so the bells um, are you know intended to to ring kind of alarm like if the if the priest is to die, um, the bells uh, will mm-hmm. ring and they know to to draw the priest out. But mm-hmm. in between, I right, so those were the tassels at the bottom. So yes. the high priest would wear that when he was going in the day of atonement, mm-hmm. and so that would be the warning sign if he didn't perform the sacrifices right, like Aaron's first sons, Adab and Abihu, didn't perform them right, and they were struck dead, mm-hmm. so they would ring. And then that then becomes paralleled with um, the priests would wear the tassels on their garments. And then in the New Testament, you know, the woman who's going to touch Jesus's tassel, he's wearing that type of priestly, then in essence, Pharisaical, what the Pharisees wear, that type of garment with those tassels on them. That's what she's touching. All right, go. Yes, but yes. the pomegranates. Yes, pomegranates. <laughs> okay. Back to the pomegranates. Okay, so in between these tassels and bells are these um, these blue uh, spheres, and mm-hmm. and they are to symbolize pomegranates. So when we studied Exodus a couple years ago, the Women's Bible Study, Jen Wilkin did a masterful job bringing out this little detail that I would totally gloss over. I'm like, oh, great, little spheres. But they have so much significance Um because of what pomegranates symbolize. So pomegranates are a fruit that thrive in the desert, that mm. the conditions mm. of, of the desert. And in pomegranates, there are roughly 144 seeds. Most pomegranates have about mm. that many seeds. Mm-hmm. They're loaded mm. with seeds. And 144, as we know, 12 times 12. So the, symbolize, the symbolism of the 12 tribes of Israel and... Um, but what's really neat about pomegranate seeds is that when they are squeezed, they um, they they release a deep, dark red juice that stains mm, anything mm-hmm. that it touches. It stains your hands. It stains your clothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's very it's a very strong uh, juice. And um, and in in this juice, it's very tart. Mm-hmm. It's very bittersweet. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also loaded with nutrients. It is full of antioxidants. It's very nutritious. And um, what's really interesting is that because it thrives in the desert, I and mean, it's a life-giving fruit because it mm-hmm. it's one of the very few things um, in the desert that have juice. Mm-hmm. That, so if you drink mm-hmm. this juice, it's mm-hmm. not only life-giving um, when you're thirsty. It has lots of it, – it yields so much much juice um, for how little uh, seeds are, I mean, for the amount of seeds that are in it, but, um, but it's, it's healing. It, mm-hmm. it provides a lot of nutrition when there's a lot of things in the desert mm-hmm. that do not. Yeah. So it is a superfood. Yes. And so it's really also interesting though, in the makeup of a pomegranate, it's made of three main parts. So the mm-hmm. skin, which is the thick leathery skin that can withstand high heats and um, really harsh um, conditions. Um, but in, so the, of course the skin, the seeds, but then what's so fascinating to me is the membrane that mm-hmm. holds all of these seeds together. Mm-hmm. It is pure white. Mm-hmm. So there's a way that you can cut a pomegranate to where you can see all three parts, and it's beautiful. Uh-huh. So when you open up the the skin, if you know how to cut back the skin, you only see this white encasement of membrane. Mm-hmm. And it's only when you cut through the white membrane mm-hmm. do you cut through to the seeds. And then as soon as the seeds are burst open, then it stains the membrane. Mm-hmm. 
And so there's a way um, people have found out how to um, release the, the membrane without breaking the seeds. And so then that's when you can juice the seeds. But um, so there's just all this symbolism, like the pure white membrane, the seeds that uh, burst forth with this red, deep red juice that stains, but it is full of life-giving nutrients. Um, and I just thought it was so fascinating that these little little spheres at the end of, of the robe have so much meaning. Isn't that amazing? It a is pomegranates. amazing. Pomegranates. Pomegranates. Who would have thought? And it is amazing. And it's a good illustration of how there's so much richness and beauty here. And um, we don't want to just fly over it. And you Mm -hmm. want to engage it and encounter it. So this is the garment that we're seeing here, actually, of the high priest. And, of course, you know, one of the great, one of of the best books to study, if you want to really understand the tabernacle, is Hebrews, as it's going to take us to how Jesus entered into the heavenly sanctuary and then how he's the great high priest. Because um, when you're looking at this high priest, no matter how magnificent the clothes were, um, you know, they're holy, they were glorious, they were beautiful. And, but the sacrifices and the service were neither perfect nor permanent. So one of the t- tensions we'll see is that no sooner is Aaron, you know, they're told to decorate, no sooner are they told to dress this way and then you have the golden calf debacle mm. and then you establish his sons to be the first high priest in Leviticus 10 and Nadab and Abihu and they bring unauthorized fire and then Eli's house the high priestly house of Eli um, becomes degenerate and debauched and so um, one of the great prophetic critiques is about the corruption of the priesthood and more than anything else that led to the exile and so even though we have this incredible symbolic picture of God's glory, his beauty, his holiness, there was always a gap between the ideal and the actual, the ideal and the real. And then one of the reasons we want to study this is because from this we learn about Jesus's ministry. We learn about what he came to do. He's our great high priest, and what the high priest was supposed to do here in the tabernacle, Jesus did in heaven for us. And so Jesus, uh, what the priest represents, Jesus, he is holy, not because of his outfit, because of his person. And he is glorious, not because of his outfit, but because of his person. And he is beautiful, not because of his outfit, but because of his person. And so what that means for us is we then become clothed in his righteousness. So how can God accept me? Well, he can't. But he can accept me if I'm wearing Jesus' clothes. You have to be dressed this way to enter into his presence. And the way we get dressed this way is by faith. So he removes our filthy, sin-stained garments and places on us Mm -hmm. the garments of his own righteousness Mm -hmm. that are holy, that are glorious, and that are beautiful. And that with them, we can then be ushered into God's presence. And we see our great high priest on the cross. What is he doing? Our names are on his shoulders. He's bearing the burden of his people on his shoulders. And he's taking their sin upon himself. And then the names of the people written on his heart because he's then ushering them into God's presence. Mm -hmm. And such an act of grace and mercy to look upon the garments and see us as clean. And he looked upon the priests and... You know, he saw their garments and accepted them as holy and beautiful and glorious. And even though they weren't themselves, he, he looked at the garments, and then that's how he, he sees us. Mm-hmm. So there's so much just beauty that we can learn from both the architectural design, the interior decorating, and then the clothes that mm-hmm. they're wearing. 
<laughs> so that concludes our mini HGTV series through Exodus. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. It's been fun walking through the tabernacle and the priestly garments with you. Have a great week.